Welcome to Recovery Plus Podcast. Fuck yesterday, focus on today. I'm your host, Dr. Mainly Hannon. Here, we celebrate and honor people in recovery one conversation at a time. Let's talk. Welcome back. This is episode 25. My next guest is Veronica Whedon. Veronica is a survivor of toxic relationships, some resulting in devastating consequences such as multiple hospital stays, sexual assaults, as well as a string of relationships that left her emotionally, mentally, and physically, and some financially depleted. After years of her own healing journey, she now helps clients uncover the root cause of their own destructive patterns, reform their beliefs, and transform their relationships and life through a program that addresses health on a mental, emotional, and physical level. Her mission is really simple, to create a ripple effect of people so connected to their innate wisdom that their newfound freedom and empowerment not only allows them to create the relationships and the life they want, but also becomes the inspiration for others to do the same. Today, Veronica is an integrative health coach, rapid transformation therapy practitioner, hypnotherapist, and the founder of Revival Health. Take a listen. Hi, Veronica. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Maylene. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you, um, especially so far away in Zurich, Switzerland. So thank you for being here. Happy to be here. So let's just start. What is the meaning of toxic relationships? Mm -hmm. So I think the easiest way to describe it is really through its symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, If, for example, uh, if you're in, let's just take romantic relationships for for argument's sake, although toxic relationships can be everywhere, at work, in the family, in friendships, um, really everywhere. But uh, for for the purpose of this, let's talk about romantic relationships. And so if you're in a relationship and you're um, experiencing um, a lot of highs and lows, um, you feel that you're very much in love with this person um, because they you you believe they're your perfect person, but um, all of a sudden, at some point, things started to go a little wrong. And you spend the majority of the relationship trying to get back to that original person somehow, because that's who you believe is is really them. Um, And through this process, you can often symptoms, uh, physical symptoms, mental symptoms, and emotional symptoms, such as you're very tired, you're very confused, you can't focus anymore. Um, You could have physical symptoms such as um, uh, stomach problems or chronic back pain, any chronic pain for that matter, um, constant headaches, uh, sleep disorders, um, brain fog, as we refer to it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're really doubting yourself a lot, um, you lose self-confidence, you're feeling more and more isolated from your friends and the rest of the world actually in time. All these are signs that you're probably in a toxic relationship, which is very unhealthy. Mm-hmm. I think that's important to just kind of have a baseline as we continue. So I appreciate that. Um, Knowing those symptoms, what makes a toxic relationship addictive in nature or compulsive? Mm-hmm. Um, it's through the abuse cycle, it becomes addictive. So uh, when talking about toxic relationships, we often talk about a trauma bond as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and a trauma bond is really an emotional bond with an individual that arises from a recurring cyclical pattern of abuse, um, which is 
perpetuated by intermittent reinforcement of rewards and punishment. So if you compare it to substance abuse, it's like the highs of when you get it and then the lows of when you don't. Uh, and the way the abuse cycle works, uh, it's in four main stages, um, which starts through by love bombing. And that's when you're showered uh, with affection and attention, often gifts as well, but you're made to feel incredibly special um, throughout the love bombing phase. And that's what gets you hooked to the narcissist and the trauma bond starts to form. Um, then once they know that you're hooked, um, you, the, the narcissist will move into the devalue phase where they might insult you or they won't show up to a date you've made. Um, they'll, uh, you know, become more distant and, and it'll become very confusing for you. And you think what's gone wrong and, and sure. you won't really understand what's happening. Um, and then they move into the discard phase where depending on what kind of a relationship it is, they either leave you or they ghost you or they stonewall you, um, but you're discarded essentially. And then comes the fourth and final stage of the abuse cycle, which is uh, referred to as hoovering, uh, which is basically, and in American English, it would be the vacuum cleaner, <laughs> right? Where, 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 they're, where they're coming back and they're sucking you back in, essentially. Mm -hmm. That's why the term is called uh, hoovering, which is the British uh, version <laughs> of vacuuming. Um, and that's when they come back and they start to um, apologize, maybe, even though it's not genuine. They make promises to change. Um, they might, if, you're, if you've been in a long-term relationship, suggest couples counseling and, and all these things to get you roped back in so that you can't leave. And you think, oh, there's hope. Essentially, what they're doing in that phase is, is giving you hope again. And then they move back into the love bombing phase where they're wonderful all over again. And you're like, yes, it paid off. It's great. That's the high. If we're comparing to the high and the low. And that cycle just continues indefinitely. And the length of each phase um, varies. Uh, in, in my personal experience, it went from very long each phase at the beginning to shorter, the, the longer the relationship went on. Um, but, but that's how you get hooked. So they target their victims um, very specifically, and they go for em em empathetic people um, because they don't have empathy. So a narcissist has no empathy, which means they inherently cannot connect with another human being. So everything they portray is a reflection of what you want. That's why the love bombing phase comes first, where they really get to know everything about you, your deepest fears, your, your biggest desires, and they use all of that information to manipulate you for the rest of the relationship, however long that may be. And that can be, like you said, so confusing. It's very confusing. And uh, that was a very long-winded answer to, no, <laughs> to your question. I think question, it's really <laughs> helpful to kind of see that you get rewarded and punished, reward and punishment. And mm -hmm. when you are in that groove repetitively, it becomes second nature. Like this is, yeah. it must be this way. Um, and we'll get in detail about how to get the hell out of those. Um, mm -hmm. But tell me a little bit more about your personal experience with toxic relationships. Mm. Um, so uh, for most of my life, I was also surrounded by all kinds of toxic relationships, only I wasn't aware of it. Um, because for me, it was it was all I really knew it was it was normal. And that's the amazing thing, and also detrimental thing, if you will, about our minds, our minds 
go to what's familiar. We go sure. to what we know. And as human beings, we don't like change. We're hardwired not to like change right. for better or for worse, <laughs> even though it's the only constant in life. It is. Right. right. Um, but uh, 95% of how we operate as human beings is through our subconscious. So if you take something uh, really simple like breathing, you don't think about how to breathe, you just do it. And that's because you learned it the minute you came into this world. Um, and it's a pattern stored in, in our subconscious. We know how to do it. Same when you open a door, pick up a glass or tie right. your shoelace. It's yeah. some exactly at some point you learned it. And then it becomes second nature. And that's a pattern in the subconscious. And for better or for worse, uh, the same applies to our behavioral patterns. Um, so we, when, we're, when we're young, we create beliefs about ourselves because of the environments that we're in, whatever that may be. And those beliefs serve us uh, or serve a purpose when we're children. Um, because as children, we need our parents. We're not able to feed ourselves. We're not able to, we have no money. We have, right. you know, we're not self-sufficient. We need our parents' love in order to survive. So depending on the environments that you're in, you create certain beliefs more sure. often than not as a survival mode because you have no other choice. But what happens is that forms a pattern in your subconscious. And then whether you're aware of it or not, you continue that pattern, you bring it forward into adulthood. So even when you are no longer dependent and you do make your own money and know how to cook your own food and tie your own shoelaces and live your own life and support yourself, um, that pattern tends to continue. And so we're attracted, again, here's the mind bringing us to what it knows, um, we're attracted to similar relationship dynamics sure. that we've learned in childhood. Mm -hmm. And so if in childhood that was a toxic pattern, and again, most people are not aware of this, that pattern will continue into adulthood. And and that was certainly the case for me, um, bringing it back to, to my life and my experiences. Um, and I was blissfully unaware. So, you know, my, my family was very, very close. Um, my father, it was definitely a traditional family. Uh, so I grew up, my parents were married for 40 years. Uh, and my father was definitely the patriarch and he made the decisions and, and he earned the money and what he said was the law. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, children were meant to be seen, not heard, really. Um, and that was, that was all I knew. That was the way it was. Um, and so as my life progressed, I ended up in friendships that were not so healthy. And I was betrayed several times by close friends that really hurt me a lot. And I could never understand why. Um, and then in romantic relationships as well, uh, they, they always left me confused and wondering and wanting more and, and never really feeling very good about myself. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, my work environments were actually not far removed from that as well. So, you know, toxic uh, relationships are very common in the corporate world. And, sure. and I did spend significant amounts of time in the corporate world and talk about toxic bosses and, um, but again, it was, you know, I was drawn to a very patriarchal figure where someone made the rule or lay down the law. And that was it. You didn't question. You didn't have an opinion. You didn't. It, it's just the way it was. And, and you had no say in the matter. And 
And I see how that can, from an outside perspective, seem silly almost, because you think, well, of course you can say something and you can leave and you can do all these things. And, and it's very easy to judge people from the outside looking in when you've never experienced a toxic relationship. Um, and that's unfortunately the worst thing you can do because all the shame and the guilt that is then projected onto um, the, the victims, let's call them, of, of toxic relationships, um, they carry so much shame and guilt themselves. And so to then be be fed more from the outside world just makes that toxic spiral so much harder and the journey so much more lonely and so much more difficult to leave. Um, and I, I guess to continue my story, I ended up in a six-year relationship with, uh, with a man who I was, uh, I was convinced was my perfect partner, you know, like I'd waited my, my whole life for him and he was everything I ever wanted. Um, and went through that abuse cycle for six years without knowing I was in a, an abuse cycle. Um, only I kept, uh, I kept getting sick. Um, so my phys manifested physically for me to the extent where I ended up with a seizure. I had to have back surgery Jesus. in the end because I couldn't walk anymore. So, you know, when we talk about emotional trauma can manifest physically, it's not a joke. It's, it's not just, oh, I have a little headache today. These, it can really manifest in serious symptoms. Um, you know, people have chronic pain uh, because of emotional abuse without understanding the connection. Um, anxiety manifests Absolutely. physically in so many different ways. And in toxic relationships, you're constantly anxious because you spend most of your time in fight or flight mode. And that's where your body is flooded with adrenaline and cortisol and all these hormones which serve a purpose when you sure. actually need to run for your life but what happens in toxic relationships because of the toxic tactics like gaslighting the crazy making the projecting the blame shifting all these different things that go on they they really make you feel like you're going insane and like you're walking on eggshells all the time because you never know what you're going to get is it jekyll or hyde is it you know what's going to walk through the door that day and and the, the the narcissist they keep you very purposefully in this fight or flight mode and at some point your body's going to start to shut down because nobody can function like that on a permanent basis um so most people end up with chronic fatigue for sure um, often, you know, various varying degrees of depression, but just innate sadness and confusion and frustration because they, you know, they still believe that the person is who, who they believe they are. So and in my case, it's what I believed. Sure. Yes, I spent, I spent six years trying to get back essentially to the beginning, to what it was at the beginning and to this person that I believed was him was real i was i was so convinced that i just didn't see or maybe didn't want to see any of all the red flags that were there and all the bad behavior and for all his bad behavior i just kept making excuses um 
and often it comes through in, in little ways like you know not showing up for dinner and not calling to say he's going to be late that's just rude you know if you think well would you do that to a friend or a family member sure. or to anyone no you just pick up the phone and you call it's not a big deal <laughs> and that it's not a big deal is also why you keep making excuses for the other person and i i certainly did that a lot um and to the point where I was just so ill and so exhausted and I couldn't focus anymore. My brain fog was at dangerous levels. So I almost got into a car accident and then a motorcycle accident. Fortunately, I barely managed to avoid it, but there's no way I should have been driving, let alone riding at that, at that stage. Um, and again, I just wasn't really aware. Um, and it just became more and more debilitating and I had no self-confidence and I felt so dependent on this person. Um, and that's how they work. They make you believe that nobody else could possibly ever love you, that you can never survive without them, that, that they need you or that you need them. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that was my life and I was getting just worse and worse and worse. Um, and, uh, we were actually engaged uh, twice and I was one of those sort of <laughs> make a Hollywood movie out of it uh, stories where I was uh, dumped the uh, the night before our wedding day. Um, and of course, people had flown in from all over the world. Everyone was there. So talk about humiliation. That's another one of the toxic tactics. They They love to humiliate. And no matter what, they always need to be the center of attention. Um, so whether, whether that's positive attention or negative attention doesn't matter. They need that narcissistic supply. Um, and I still went back for a year because that was the discard phase. Mm. And then came the hoovering stage, which in my case, he led me to believe that he was going to commit suicide if I left. And so then that kept me, kept me tied to him because of, of the fear. Uh, and then it went back into the love bombing stage and the cycle that I described early and so on. So I actually stayed with him for another year after the, the wedding, which never happened. Um, and it was only when I got really physically sick again, um, that, that I had a dream. I'm a big dreamer and, and that's how it woke me up. And I felt so terrible after this dream that some, everything inside of me was just going to burst. And, and I, and I knew something was very wrong and, and I had to, and I had to get out. So that was the beginning of my, my exit, if you will. Yeah. Um, it's just amazing to hear this process that you went through. And I think it's, more common than not, unfortunately, that you feel so obligated to stay or terrified to leave um, mm -hmm. and how confusing that must be. Now, you mentioned that you got super sick multiple times in the hospital, back mm -hmm. surgery, a seizure. Um, some mm -hmm. of this wasn't just emotional, physical impacts, but was there a time when you were physically abused as well with these toxic relationships? Of course. Yeah. yeah. That often comes with it. Um, yeah. it was the case, uh, for me as well. So, um, I unfortunately uh, have been sexually assaulted multiple times in my life, um, from multiple people. So it's certainly something that, 
that has contributed. And again, all, all I felt around it was shame. In fact, I, I lived in denial for a long time. Um, the, uh, the, uh, rape that I experienced, I didn't talk about for 15 years. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's all part of the toxic pattern though. And somehow I convinced myself that it was my fault. And I know a lot of people do this when things like this happen. And of course it's not your fault. Um, something like that can never be your fault, no matter what you do or don't do. Um, but I, I was one of those people and I convinced myself that, you know, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have been there. I should have, uh, you know, made different choices and, and that it was my fault that it happened. Um, and then you and had this dream to get the hell out. I guess that's, you know, and this happens over and over again, the domestic violence pattern of abuse, mm -hmm. right? Where you, you have to go back because they threaten you, whether it's to kill you if you leave or they're going to kill themselves if you leave. Um, it is a, it is this double bind, it sounds like. Yeah, the, the number one reason I hear why people, why it's so hard to leave a narcissist is fear. And that fear is, is, I would really sort of classify it on two levels. One, like you said, is the fear of, you know, they threaten to kill you or to take the children or the pets or um, financially, uh, you know, hold all the, spend all the money or keep, take all your money or there's a big financial um, sure. element uh, as part of it because that's a, an easy way to control a lot of people. Um, they could threaten to burn down the house. They could threaten to kill you um, or like we've already said, and which was what I experienced to kill themselves. Um, and so, so there's that level of fear and those threats are very real. Um, it, it, it's not a joke. So the, the fear is real um, and makes it very difficult for people to lead these relationships. The, the second level of fear, and I call it second level, but really they're on a par. They're just different types of fear. Is, is more internal and it's the fear of abandonment, fear of rejection, the fear of being alone because a toxic relationship is, is a codependent relationship Absolutely. and it's like substance abuse, it's a codependency. Um, and so anyone in toxic relationships is a codependent um, and that, that fear of abandonment, fear of rejection, fear of being alone is very real. And, and oftentimes, no matter how bad it is in the relationship, going back to people don't like change, right? right. No matter right. how bad it is, at least it's predictable. You know, you know what it's you're familiar, getting, right? however, however horrific that is, it's sure. familiar. Whereas the unknown can, to many, seem so much scarier. Absolutely. Because, and, and remembering at that point, also, you have no self-confidence, you have no self-trust, you've been gaslit for months, years, decades, even, you know, people spend lifetimes with, with toxic partners. Um, and so you just have no trust left in yourself. And, and the narcissist makes you believe that you can never survive without them. And it's, it's just this vicious spiral that the, the further in you get, the harder it is to sort of claw your way out of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you almost died. In mm, I wanted to. Oh, I Mm. absolutely i mean what mm. other choice would you have if this was mm. it you know if this is all you know and like back at childhood this is 
normalized, right? Patriarchy and children are to only be seen, not heard, and you have no voice. So it's normal to mm-hmm. kind of go into these patterns and just go, this must be how it is. Mm-hmm. So after almost dying and several hospitalizations later, you had this dream that said, you got to get out or how did that mm-hmm. arrive? And then what did you do? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, throughout my life, actually, I've, I've been a dreamer um, and I never, I never really understood them. And someone at some point said to me, well, why don't you write them down? And I didn't see the point at first, but uh, then one day I just decided to, and I wrote them down and it went on for about six months uh, until the point where, where I sort of had this, I don't want to call it a final dream because obviously I've had lots <laughs> since, but, but it was a, it was a turning point like in sure. my life for sure. Um, where I had this dream that was so awful. I woke up uh, almost vomiting uh, from it and I went back and I opened my journal and I read the dreams from the previous six months. And all of a sudden I could identify a pattern. And the pattern, as different as all the dreams were, was essentially telling me uh, of a split personality. So my initial thought was, oh, my goodness, he's schizophrenic, right? There's this person I believe he is, and then this other person. It's like good and bad, you know, black and white and uh, good versus evil, etc. cetera. Uh, yin and yang, what, whatever. Hyde, but really, right? too, yes, jackal high, just opposites. Mm-hmm. Um And then, because at that point, I still didn't know, I'd never heard of toxic relationships or narcissism or, you know, when someone said narcissist to me, it just meant someone with a big ego and very arrogant, nothing, nothing more, nothing less. Um, But, uh, but I actually started to make some phone calls, some very uncomfortable phone calls in, in calling a few other women that had popped up on the radar and fortunately they agreed to speak to me and it was the ex and it was the future one and it was another one and because because narcissists they always have many partners they are you're never the only one as as much as you'd like to think um that there are always so many and that's when i started to realize and uncover what had really been going on because I, you know, we all started comparing notes and we said, but he told me this and we said, but no, that's not the case. And we were showing each other proof of all these things. So we knew it wasn't sort of one woman, you know, trying to pit herself against the other. It was all just, oh my goodness. And of course he was lying to everyone. And and that's what they do with narcissists. They're, you know, they're very clever because what they tell you is maybe 1% true and 99% lies but that one percent is just enough truth to make you believe it's possible no matter how improbable right hope that it's possible yes exactly um and things like i'll give you another example in in my life with the with the six-year relationship he um started at the very beginning when we met he told me that he was a cancer survivor um and to me you know I thought, oh, that shows strength in a person and if you're in resilience, right? If you can get through something traumatic like that, and that's an amazing feat. Um, anyway, fast forward six years, he never had cancer. He never, um, it was, it was just another, and, and sickness disease is, is another tactic that they commonly use, um, to manipulate people, um, and to get 
Yeah. Empaths, right? Exactly. Feeling for them, right? Mm -hmm. And and they use it to see how far they can push your boundaries. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it, it's really I want to say interesting when you pull it apart, and and it it all makes so much sense retrospectively because once you know the tactics they use and how they operate, and you look back it does seem obvious. You're like, oh my goodness, that's what was going on. And I personally had so many aha moments, but they came over an extended period of time because I was learning by myself and doing research by myself. And I kept coming across new pieces of information. And um, so it, it was certainly a slower process for me, but but yeah, over the course of, of the next months, maybe even a year, I constantly had moments where I was like, oh, oh my goodness, that's what was going on back then. That's why it felt odd. That's, that's what was really happening. And it's eye opening. Um, I mean, but it's, it's a difficult point to get to when you're, if you're considering leaving, or you've just left, there's still that piece of you that the trauma bond isn't broken, you know, the trauma bond doesn't break just like that. Yeah. And, and it's this cognitive dissonance where your brain cannot hold conflicting beliefs of he's this wonderful person that I love versus he's this really monster. cruel and evil and manipulative monster. And it just like your, your brain can't, can't hold both. Um, and often it's only in time. And it was certainly the case for me. And I've, I've seen it with clients as well. Mm -hmm. It's only after some time of being out and more distance from it and retrospective that they can really accept who that person really is. Um, because it's it's devastating. It's Your reality loss. shatters. Yeah. If you've spent, again, years or decades or a lifetime with someone, everything you believe to be true was a lie. So your whole your whole reality shatters and it's devastating. Mm -hmm. I remember just thinking, but what do I, what do I do? My whole life was, I mean, what? where do I go from here? And then when I did the work and really backtracked um, to figure out why I had the pattern and I realized what was happening, my whole world fell apart because everything oh, yeah. I believed about my family and my childhood and my upbringing, everything I believed to be true, I now saw in a completely different manner and it was devastating again because yeah my entire reality just fell apart and and that's not an easy thing to to wrap your head around and, and oh, because then well yeah. who are you as a person and where where do you go from here um and i i think that's you know similar with a substance abuse when when you've abused a certain or multiple substances for so long and then you don't have it you, you sort of step back and go well who am i without it and right. where does Absolutely. that leave me and and who am i what am i where, where do i go from here yes i mean that's a it's, really good question before we remove there really mm -hmm. quickly when you found which is kind of extraordinary when you're finding ex-partners of the partner you were with mm -hmm and realizing that you actually were not the only one and that mm. you weren't actually crazy. What was mm. that like for you? It was both relieving and devastating at the same time. Um, relieving because it meant that gut feeling that I had at the time, 
And I think everyone has this. I think maybe women a little more than men, because women tend to be a little more intuitive than men. But I, I really believe every human being has has intuition. <laughs> Some people know how to tap into it better, but I, I believe everyone has it. Sure. And and looking back, I had so many of those gut feeling moments where I just went, oh, "That's odd," or "Why is he saying that?" or "What's going?" It, it was just my gut saying something's wrong, but I kept making excuses like people in toxic relationships do. We excuse the bad behavior. Um, and so learning the truth, I guess, was validation that no, I'm not crazy and that my gut was trying to tell me something. And simultaneously, I felt so much shame because it's like, well, Shit. how did I not see it sooner? Or mm -hmm. how could I stay for so that? And the shame just is overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And also simultaneously, the the shock, I guess, of, of the reality of how bad the reality was that this person who I had held on such a high pedestal for mm -hmm. so long and being devoted to for such a long time, um, could be so cruel and so yeah, just so cruel and evil. Really, tr truly right. evil. Yeah. yeah. To me, you know, when I had, when I had given so much, um, so really? yeah, like, th like three, three very, um, different emotions all, all at the same time. So it's like the disbelief and the, sure. and the shock verse and the validation and relief at the same time. Um, mm -hmm. and then the yeah. loss is tremendous and, and then confusion, like what mm -hmm. shame, all of these things. So once you got all this information and realizing you have to get out, how did you actually leave this last time mm -hmm. from the final toxic relationship? Mm -hmm. um, how did you do I guess that? I was fortunate in the sense that he had me in the discard phase at that moment mm -hmm. or in the devalue we were between devalue and discard mm -hmm. so he he kept threatening to to leave me um so when i found out the truth that again fortunately for me made it a little easier to say okay off you go mm -hmm. i'm out um but of course once he realized that i was happy to get out, then the hoovering and the, the love bombing started straight away because even, even when they leave you and move on to their next victim, right. they'll always come back because remember they need narcissistic supply. So that's why the exes are always in the picture because they're going back and they're always future prospects in the picture as well. And, mm -hmm. and side, side hustles and right. Uh, there, there's everything everywhere. So they never want to let anyone go, really, even if they, they leave you in the relationship. At some point, they'll come back and say, oh, but I still love you. And oh, you know, even though, of course, they never did because they're not capable of love. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, sorry, coming, bringing it back to your question, the, the fact that I was in that phase made it a little easier. Um, and then, uh, of course, we were living together at that time because we'd been engaged twice, actually. And um, uh, and and that 
made the the separation take some time because we had the logistics of giving notice for the apartments and finding a new place and and moving out and so forth so it took some time um but once i had learned the truth i took action quite quickly in terms of um handing in notice to to the landlord and looking for a place and um, and taking action steps to get out. However, I had to um, essentially play dumb until I knew it was over for good. So, uh, because I, I still needed things from him. So we were both on the lease. So I needed his signature for him, for things. I needed, we both needed to show up to certain meetings. Um, and if if I had shown my true feelings towards him at that point, he never would have done that. And that would have made leaving much, much more difficult. So I quote unquote played his game. Once I knew how the game worked, mm -hmm. they're actually very predictable in what they're going to do and how they're going to act. So I played his game until such time that I knew I could go no contact and be completely safe. and just walk away and be safe. Yeah. So when you're in that Absolutely. mindset playing that game, what did that look like? Basically pretending that that I still cared about him. Oh. Um, and, you know, that I was sad that it was all over and as if as if nothing had really changed from my side, mm -hmm. essentially. Uh, even though, and you know that I, I, I gave him, I made him believe that he was still holding all the cards so that he was the one leaving me and, um, and I was sad about it. Not that I wanted to leave as well. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, um, um being safe emotionally, how did you keep yourself safe? Was it just knowing that you knew how to play the game and just stay on track or how did that manifest yeah i mean my my first concern was my physical safety uh, because when i when i did i did have a day where i confronted him about everything and i needed to do that for my emotional and mental <laughs> just sure. um next step uh, and of course he denied everything and he threatened to, to kill himself again right in front of me um we lived on the seventh floor and he opened the window and, and sat on the, on the ledge and there was no balcony on the seventh floor and threatened to, to push himself out as I was confronting him. Um, uh, so, so there was that that came, but at that stage I knew he would, he wouldn't do that. Um, cause I knew what a coward he was. Um, but I had, uh, I had the police on on standby, actually, uh, well, wow. on standby, I, on speed dial, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, because no one had ever caught him before and no one had ever confronted him before. And actually, uh, one of the other women who, who I'd been talking to, she said, are you sure you want to confront him? Because he may well snap she was worried that he would snap and i had that same fear so talk about yeah. gut feeling yeah. and and he was he was a big guy so he was um 195 i think in in us that's like six four six wow. foot four or something um strong so 
he, I, I didn't physically stand a chance against him if, if something was really going to go horribly wrong in, in that way. Um, so yes, I did very much fear for my physical safety first, but I needed to confront him anyway. Um, and then as it turns out, he went the suicide route versus, versus the, the physical aggression towards me. Um, and then in terms of my emotional state, mm -hmm. um, at that stage, I was really just in operation mode. And there, everybody's different. Me as an individual, as a person, when I'm up against, when my back's against the wall or I'm up against the wire, I, it's like a switch just flips in my brain and I don't feel anything. I just operate. You just do. I just do. I just, I just function and get done what needs to get done until I'm in a safe space or an environment where everything can stop. Um, and so for me, the breakdown really came later after it, it wasn't happening while I was getting out or even at the end, sure. um, it, it, it really came after. And my lowest point in my life um, or second lowest in my life uh, came after I was out. Yeah, because you're holding all this stuff, survival mode, navigating mm -hmm. all these things. Yeah. It, it, it's trauma, you know, mm -hmm. and you're just in survival mode. And so when you're in your lowest, that means you're just kind of letting things, you know, now you're realizing how fucked mm -hmm. that was for mm -hmm. so long. And mm -hmm. now you're realizing the devastation of what my whole life was. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Right. Like you were mentioning. So how did you get through those lowest moments? What did that look like? Um, it was it was a process and there wasn't sure. one particular thing. And I think anyone going through any kind of recovery is going to have a, a multitude of, of tools to you know, to use. And I don't know if, if there's a magic pill somewhere out there, you know, please let me know. Sure. I didn't find it. I wish we did. Um, but no, I mean, I was, I, I became suicidal. So like we mentioned before, I, I, I wanted to die. It just, I didn't know where to go. I didn't, I had nothing left in me, everything. I was just yeah. depleted. I, I really had nothing left. Um, and I, I should add, I guess, through that process. Um, so I met the, the last one at the time where um, I had uh, lost my brother, who was the closest person in my life. So it was a very traumatic and and those were very traumatic circumstances, how that happened. And so he really preyed on my grief, my, my, on grief. my my grief and, and used it as a way to really create that trauma bond. And I convinced myself, oh, well, you know, the universe took the most important thing to me, but it's given me something to help me in exchange, you know, which, of course, was just, yeah, was just not at all the case, quite the opposite. Um, uh, and then, um, you know, I, I talked about our um, the wedding, which never happened. Right. And two weeks before the wedding, uh, I lost my mother. Uh, as well. So I lost my mother and then got dumped at the altar, basically. And so, so there was Jesus. all, um, there, there was just all this, 
grief and, and loss that had been all consuming for, for really the decade of my 30s. So my 30s were hell um, for so many reasons. Um, and, uh, and it just, I just basically imploded. Um, and it yeah. was, it was a really, really dark time for me. Um, so very depressed, uh, definitely wanted to check out, um, for whatever reason, didn't and started to, to learn more, you know, to study about, to understand what, what had happened to me and what I'd been living. Uh, and then I connect with nature a lot. So nature has always helped me in my life. I'm, I'm a runner and um, I hadn't been able to run for for so long because of my health. And, and I tried to start running again, which was also a long haul, um, but ended up climbing um, Mount Kilimanjaro to try oh, that and little get mountain. <laughs> that little mountain. Yeah. To, to wow. you know, to try and find find something at the top right to oh, find some literally. peace and yeah. and uh and it was actually um something that my brother and I had said we'd always do together and so I wanted to like somehow to process the grief all those years later I I, I went there and yet that was the time I climbed the mountain there was nothing at the top no no peace was at the top and there was one person in the group that was such a narcissist and he was just a, a horrendous person, just obnoxious to everyone. And somehow he targeted me again on the one day and oh, out of the blue shit. in front of everyone just stood up and started screaming at me and swearing at me for, for no reason at oh, all. Man. Just, you know, calling me the biggest bitch in the world. I mean, really just wow. so far out of line and, and strangely, it, it was that moment that sent me into the, the deepest, darkest spiral because here was a total stranger right? who felt he could abuse me, you know, verbally, publicly, human, like, like that for, for no reason. I don't know this guy. He doesn't know me and just feels it's okay to, to treat me that way. And so it really is a, what is it about me? It's just, you know, a magnet like, for the shit. Yes, basically right? a shit magnet. Um, Jesus. And 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 it was, yeah, the 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 just that awful inner feeling of of almost self loathing and thinking, well, I've done all this work, learning and studying about toxic relationships, and I know what it is. So with all that, how can I still not defend myself? How can I, how am I still not able to stand up for myself in a situation like that? And it was that hopelessness, essentially, that it really sent me spiraling. And then how did I get out of it? Time. time and yeah a lot of different courses a lot of um you know i went through the the depression phase and um at some point then i went back to school to study health coaching mm -hmm. um, because i just wanted to i had to start with my physical being before i could address anything else um and this is how i work with clients today so the the detox happens physically first mm -hmm. um and then simultaneously as we work on mental and emotional issues but but for me that was key because again when you've spent so much time in fight or flight and your body's just flooded with adrenaline and and it's falling apart it, it, 
for, for me, you have to start physically. Yeah, to, um, to keep yourself like a foundation for healing. Exactly. And, and often, not always, but often the physical is also the easier part oh, to yeah. fix, quote unquote. Yeah. Right? To heal. Yeah. Exactly. Because yeah. our bodies are amazing. Um, and resilient. Vessels, yeah. And, and they do know how to heal themselves. I'm a firm, firm believer in that. And, and yeah, I started doing a lot of courses, um, a lot of books. Uh, I of course went to therapy, um, and sports and nature. And, um, I went and did plant medicine, ayahuasca, um, for, I mean, you name it, I probably did it as part of my healing journey. Um, but it was, it was a, a long, and lonely process for me. Right. Um, so what is the biggest thing you learned about yourself getting to the other side? Cause that's what you've done, right? You've come through the darkest places of hell mm. to the other side. What is the thing that you learned the most that helps you now and maybe your clients too? Yeah. Um, that I'm enough. So I don't actually have to do anything or be anything or just I'm enough. Um, and I do have to keep reminding myself of that every day. Um, but I, I believe it. And I think that's what most people don't believe. Um, you know, if someone in, a, in another interview not too long ago asked me, if you could put one thing up on a billboard for the world to see, what would it be? Hmm. And I said, you are enough to remind people because everyone's struggling with, with addictions, with, with anything really, any type of struggle. Mm -hmm. I would argue always, but if not always, almost always, mm -hmm. the underlying deep seated belief is that they're not enough, that I am not enough for what, and the reasons for that are, are multitude, mm -hmm. but it's that, yeah, like I, I'm not worthy, right? I'm not enough. I don't deserve. I don't, um, yeah, it's not made for me. Um, and I think, you know, whatever, whatever happens in my life and, and if I were to die tomorrow and accomplish nothing else, <laughs> then it's just saying, you know what, it's maybe that's okay. Like I, because I'm enough. I, I'm, I am the only person who I can change. I have no control over anybody else. Um, and that's the big shift. What I learned going from victim to survivor mentality, mm. it's shifting from wanting to change or believing you can <laughs> change other people and blaming others to taking responsibility for my life and knowing that if I want something to change, that change has to start with me because I can't control anyone or anything else, only myself. Thanks. And responsibility seems scary and yeah, often so like a shaming thing as well. And when I, when someone told me, well, take responsibility, I felt like they were shaming me and, and it was, it was offensive, which again is the last sentiment that people in, in these situations need. Mm -hmm. But if you pull the word apart, responsibility just means an ability to respond. 
And when you look at it like that, I, I feel it becomes quite empowering because who wouldn't want to be able to respond to any and every situation in a healthy and strong way? It, it's an empowering thing. Um, and yeah, so, so those, are, those are the main lessons that, I, that I've learned. I think those are very powerful. And, and maybe the answer is similar. What can you share with someone who's contemplating leaving a toxic relationship? If they're listening to this, what would you share with them similar to what you just said? And would you add anything? Mm, do it. If you're thinking <laughs> about it. leaving, do it. Just, <laughs> just you know, yeah. open that door, walk through it, close it behind you and never look back. Just keep moving forward. Um, however hard it is. And obviously, if you are in a situation where physical threats to your life are, are very real, have a plan, you know, mm -hmm. take the time you need to to concoct a plan to, to make sure you are safe and enlist the help of whoever you need to to, to make sure that happens. Um, but but get out if, if you want something different for your life, get out because the relationship itself, that per, the narcissist will never change. If anything, they will only get worse. It's what I observed in, in my cases with age and often with money and, and status, it becomes worse, so much worse. Um, and I feel at some point, you know, there's a hump when they start to lose their looks and lose, you know, become less appealing mm -hmm. and maybe less charming or so then then you're in a whole nother another phase as well. But but yeah, if you're contemplating out. leaving, get out, you, you you can do it. You are stronger than, you know, and the reason I know that is because you're still alive. If you can survive however long you've been with a narcissist, then you're an incredibly resilient and amazingly strong person and just redirect that strength towards yourself versus the other person, you know, get out and start, start healing first. And then you can create the life that you want and you can have everything that you want because you are enough and you are worthy and you deserve it. That's amazing. And you have the ability to respond. I love that. It's so true. Mm -hmm. And you have definitely survived and thrived. Mm -hmm. And how can people find you? I know you're in Zurich, but I found you. So you found <laughs> yes. <me>. Yeah. <laughs> Social networking, right? <laughs> it's wonderful. Yes. Yes. Um, so yes, I am in, in Zurich, which is in Switzerland, for, for those of you who don't know the city. Um, but everything I do, I, I can do remotely. Um, my company is called Revival Health. Uh, so the website is revivalhealth.ch um, for Switzerland. Um, and uh, on social media, uh, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn. So LinkedIn, you can find me under Veronica Whedon and Facebook and Instagram. It's Revival Health LLC. Um, and yeah, I work through, uh, through the healing program with people and also work, uh, with rapid transformational therapy and hypnotherapy, um, to address, uh, individual symptoms as well as of course the pattern of toxic relationships. Wonderful. Um, I appreciate you sharing your story and the good thing is you're not alone and 
you know what it's like, and you also know what it's like to get out, to stay out. That's the big piece is staying out and not getting back into them. Go no contact. So if and when yeah. you decide to leave, two two critical things. No contact is essential because that's how you disempower the narcissist. Because remember, they want any kind of attention, positive or negative. So no contact. It's it's such a critical rule. No matter how hard it is for right. you to do, like delete their number, block block them. Don't just not respond. Literally block them from everywhere and, and anything. Um, and if, you know, change your locks on the door, if they have a key to your home and, and you can't move, but, but no contact is, is critical for your sanity and, and healing journey. Um, and the other thing I would really say is get help because you're not alone. And it is such a lonely space that you're in right now, but you aren't alone. So many others are in the same situation or have have gone through it too you know i'm one of them but there's so many out there and getting help is not a weakness it's a power move um like and that. with someone to help keep you accountable for your healing and your progress your chances are success actually go up by 80 percent wow so excellent really really helpful i really appreciate you being here veronica thank you so much Thank you for listening to Recovery Plus Podcast, Fuck Yesterday, Focus on Today. I'm your host, Dr. Mainly Hennon, celebrating and honoring people in recovery one conversation at a time. This podcast is sponsored by Red Door Coaching and Consulting, and you can find my podcast on Amazon, Apple, and Spotify. Also, you can find me at my website at www.reddoorcc.com. You can email me at mhennon at reddoorcc.com if you're interested in transformational coaching. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon.